Real life, real conversations. Hello and welcome back to Real Talk, brought to you by IMU Christian Fellowship, where we seek to spread the good news of Jesus Christ and edify one another in His Word. I'm your host, Xander from DN119. So this week, we have Eldon with us again to continue our series of suffering and the sovereignty of God. Hi, Eldon. It's good to have you here. Hey, hi. Hi, Xander. Hi, everyone. It's good to be back. So last week, we talked about the extent of God's sovereignty. And as I recall, Eldon, you said that God is sovereign over all things, even evil. Am I right? Yeah, that's right. Um, I hope if you did not get to listen to the talk, uh, that you get to catch up before listening to this one. All right. So... Seeing as it was quite a heavy topic, there, of course, were a few questions from the audience. So whether you're ready or not, I'm going to ask you the questions. Question number one, as a Christian, why do I need to know things like God's sovereignty and salvation? Aren't they things only learned at seminary? Since I'm not becoming a pastor, isn't knowing that Jesus died for my sins all that I really need to know? So your question here is pertaining whether um, knowing that Jesus uh, dying for my sins is good enough for a Christian, and whether these things are really um, seminary level. Um, I would say firstly um, that it is a wrong assumption to make that um, learning about God's sovereignty and salvation are things that only seminary students or pastors cover. Um, in fact, you'll find a lot of resources today um, where people are asking questions like this on a public platform. For example, uh, the Ask Pastor John series on Desiring God, yeah. um, you get lots of questions like these. Uh, secondly, the Bible teaches us that um, all Christians are to grow in maturity and to then grow into having the mind of Christ. So um, realistically, these things need to be learned along the way. And uh, I don't think we should limit it to just um, pastors and seminary students. Um, if we were right. to talk about getting to know, yeah. let's say, your future wife, I don't think you'll put a limit to that, right? Where you reach a certain point and then um, you'll say, you know, no, this is like seminary level. Um, and so I don't think we should do the same with uh, God's word. And finally, you'll find that a lot of the, the things that I've said here to be really helpful in times of difficulty, um, when you actually suffer, um, you'll find that um, God's word and having that clarity will really cause you to persevere. All right. Yeah. So, so just to summarize, it's not that these things are just for seminary students. It's also for us as Christians, as we mature, we also get to know all these things, right? Yep. And it's important. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's important. Okay. So second question is, if God is already in control and does whatever he wants for his own glory, then why do we pray? Yeah. I understand your question and it's a good question. Um, if God is sovereign, then um, why are we to pray? Well, firstly, um, it is to work off the wrong assumption uh, that most of us would have, which is that prayer and its purpose is essentially to change the mind of God and to direct God and His plans, um, which is not how the Bible communicates prayer. In fact, um, prayer in the Bible is about dependence on God. It's about relying on God uh, that he will accomplish his plans and purposes. And so, if God is sovereign, in fact, then we can pray confidently because we know that um, God knows what he's doing and we can trust in him. So, um, there's no issue in terms of prayer 
as you understand the sovereignty of God. Right. So the third and final question that we have from last week is, I'm starting to doubt God because I can't understand why he would want to bring suffering to the world um, because there are so many people dying, especially in this time of pandemic. So this person asks, what should I do? Okay, well, you should listen to this talk today because I'll be um, dealing more and more with why God then brings suffering to the world. So last week, we talked about the extent of his sovereignty. So uh, from this week onwards, we'll be covering uh, why then suffering. So tune in, and uh, if you've got more questions, whoever this person is, you can ask them uh, in the next session as well. All right. So I hope that's helped all of you in your understanding of the extent of God's sovereignty and also in context of our series for this season. So don't forget, if you still have any questions regarding this series, do send them in to 011-2376-2062, which I will repeat at the end of this talk. So in this week's news, the movement control order has been extended and also enforced until the 14th of April. Now, most of us Malaysians and Christians are quite annoyed, right? I mean, Eldon, what do you think? Um, yeah, in some ways, I guess you're right. I, I do feel a bit more like restricted for another two more weeks. Mm-hmm. So two added weeks of, no qu- of quarantine, uh, no mama, no meeting up with friends, no physical church gatherings. But if we remember last week, remember that God is in control over the whole situation, as bad or evil it may seem. But knowing he's in full control, then what is our role? So that brings us to this week's topic, God's sovereignty and human responsibility. One question was quite similar to that earlier about why we should pray if God truly is sovereign. But this week we go another step further and ask, what then should we as Christians do knowing that God is sovereign and in control. Do we sit back and relax, let the situation play itself out? So what do you think, Eldon? Alright, so um, I will be covering on these parts um, probably towards the end of uh, my short talk here. Uh, But I'm going to first deal with uh, larger concepts of why then does God allow suffering. Last week, we covered the extent of the sovereignty of God. Uh, We saw how God is completely in controls, completely sovereign over good and evil. And I mentioned towards the end of the sermon or the talk that um, unless you understand this sovereignty, you won't grasp suffering rightly. And so today we are at a part where we're going to work out what is suffering, but I hope you're clear on the sovereignty of God and the extent of that sovereignty. Um, And if you haven't listened to that talk yet, please do um, make sure you get your hands on it and listen to it before you continue on with this one. Otherwise, you'll be quite confused, I must say. And so today, we're dealing with the question of, if God is sovereign over everything, then why is there suffering? If God is completely sovereign, isn't it the case that he chooses to bring us suffering? Isn't it the case that he purposes for us to suffer? This is especially pertinent, relevant Uh, when we're faced with instances of suffering that are completely horrible, inhumane, and grotesque. Um, Not so much for the instances when we see that we clearly deserve punishment for our wrongdoing, right? because we deserve it. Um, But to truly grasp and to truly deal with this topic is to ask the question, um, what if it was in the case that we did not do any wrong? What if it were in the case where 
um, what we are facing in terms of our suffering is way beyond what we actually have done. Is it fair of God? And if He is righteous and sovereign, if He's there, why wouldn't He intervene? An example I can think of is uh, the example of the Holocaust. You all know the Holocaust, right? Um, there was a Nobel Prize winner, a Nobel Peace Prize winner, Elie Wiesel, who went through the Holocaust in Birkenau and Auschwitz, and he was completely traumatized by what he saw. Being a Jewish boy who trusted in God, in Yahweh, supposedly from the people of God, he had trusted in God all his life, but what he saw and witnessed in the Holocaust caused him to doubt God and then to stop believing in God. And in one of his writings, he says this, Never shall I forget that night, the first night in camp that turned my life into one long night seven times sealed. Never shall I forget that smoke. Never shall I forget the small faces of the children whose bodies I saw transform into smoke under a silent sky. Never shall I forget those flames that consumed my faith forever. Never shall I forget the nocturnal silence that deprived me for all eternity of the desire to live. Never shall I forget those moments that murdered my God and my soul and turned my dreams to ashes. Never shall I forget those things, even were I condemned to live as long as God himself. Never. And many of you here might have been through an instance like this where clearly you did not do any wrong to deserve what you faced. Maybe it could be instance of rape or abuse. Where was God? Why did he allow you to go through that suffering? Well, there are a few steps to work out here um, that hopefully will give you clarity on this topic. Um, the first step, and I've got four steps in total. The first step is you first need to be clear on who God is and who you are. And admittedly, in doing these four steps, I won't immediately tackle the issue, but you will progressively get there. First one, you need to know who God is and who you are. God is a creator. He made you. He made all of us. Human beings, in fact, he made all of creation with a certain purpose. He made us to live lives under him, to rule this world under his rule, to live in a way that pleases him and brings him glory. To understand God as creator is to realize that God is not obligated to give you life. It's to realize that God, in fact, owes you nothing that the only reason why you're living now is because He chose to give you life. is because He has given you life. There's not, no reason why you should deserve life. There's no reason why you ought to be alive now, but that He has created you. And why are you the successful sperm and not the many other sperms that did not make it? Well, it's because God decided to give you life. We see in Romans chapter 9, verse 20b to 21 that if God decides to make you a certain way, have you any right to question Him? In the same way that you as a creator 
would have any had would have had many instances in your life where you would create something you create could create things however you wanted for example in form 5 when you had your pandidikan seni right your arts subject and you could paint a painting of whatever sort and you decided to paint whatever you painted as the creator you had right over that painting and you decided what you wanted to paint and you created whatever you painted and can your painting question you you know why did you paint me this way well no likewise god who is creator he has the right as verse 21 of romans 9 says the right over the clay to make out of one same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use you first need to grasp who god is who is creator and who you are you need to know your place such that when you are asking this question god why is there even suffering you first grasp the perspective of how he is god you are not god you are created the air you breathe is that yours no it's not yours the wonderful food that you have day in day out did you make these for well, sure probably by the strength of your might you're able to earn money right to be able to eat these things but that strength is it from you those muscles are those your muscles well it's all god's and so you must first grasp this reality of who god is and who you are and if you're clear on that you can move on to the second point the second part which is if you're clear that god is creator you also need to be clear on who he is his character as creator and then you need to be clear on who you are as a human being and your character as a human being and therefore what you deserve i'm going to start off with god's character god is good god is morally right in himself he is righteous he is no way wicked in any way he does not sin he is just he is upright we see in genesis 18 verse 25 abraham cries out to god and says far be it from you to do such a thing to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fare as the wicked far be it from you shall not the judge of the earth do what is just he calls upon god to act consistently with his character which is that god is just and he's right in Deuteronomy 32 verse 4 we see that god and his work is perfect his ways are all just he's a god of faithfulness and without iniquity just and upright is he god is not just upright in a way where he is upright in himself and where he tries to be upright but we see how he in fact loves righteousness in psalm 45 verse 7 this god loves righteousness and he hates wickedness those are very strong words meaning that he does not just act neutrally towards evil he in fact hates evil and is himself not evil yesterday sorry last week we saw that god is the one who creates evil but you have to make this distinction and make sure you check out last week's talk that is the distinction between god creating evil and he himself being evil so he is not evil but he is the one who creates calamity
So for instance, if God is this God who loves righteousness and he hates wickedness, when we do evil or when we do something wrong, do we deserve it? In accordance to God's character, um, we do actually deserve some sort of punishment because we have gone against the God who loves righteousness and hates wickedness. We have gone against the very way that God has created us to be and to live. God himself being righteous has purpose for his people to live in righteousness. And so if we do something evil, do we deserve suffering or some sort of punishment? Yes, we do. I think in knowing God's character, you then are able to draw the, the links between um, some of the instances of suffering that we face and what we have done before this God who is righteous and holy and good. In fact, in understanding this righteousness, we do see how we all deserve death. We do see in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for example, that the wages of sin is death. In the things that we do against God, in our rebellion against God, who is the Creator, we actually deserve death. Since Adam and Eve sinned against God, by right, by right, the entire human race should be just completely wiped out. Because God is the source of life. And to reject God as Adam and Eve did is to reject life itself. And so none of us should exist in the first place. We should all wake up to a non-existence and to not feel like we are obligated, obligated to have this life. Because in the first place, our forefathers sin and we ourselves do sin. So we don't deserve this life. In Genesis 3, 14 to 24, in fact, as we are separated from this God and his good world, uh, we are only to expect curses and diseases as per in Genesis 3. So the life that we are living now that is full of curses and full of disease is only natural with our rebellion against God. In fact, friends, brothers and sisters, this God as much as I'm trying to pitch that he's righteous and just and holy and good, he does not deal with us according to our sins. The fact that we are even able to live a few seconds of life to years of life, that is because of God's common grace, because of God's mercy, that we're even able to enjoy the goodness of this life. This life that we have no right over, this life that we do not deserve. Psalms 103 verse 8 to 10 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. So with the second point of being clear of who God is, that he is righteous and holy and good, we then are made aware of who we are as human beings that we are rebels from birth, that we actually hate God, we actually not seek God, we do not seek Him, sorry. We actually try to run lives our own way without Him. We actually try to suppress the truth about Him by living lives our own way and deciding things as if we were God ourselves. And so in understanding God, His character and who we are, 
we therefore are aware of what we deserve. And very often in asking the question of why does God allow suffering, we don't actually explore enough the question of why don't we deserve this suffering. And if you are clear on who God is, if you are clear on who we are, then you will see how we deserve, in fact, no life. We deserve, in fact, every suffering that we face on this earth, whether or not it is directly tied to a particular action that we have done, whether or not it is something that is directly related to our wrongdoings and transgressions, that's besides the point. If we are rebels against God, we deserve no life. Thirdly, the third point that you need to be clear on in order to understand why God allows suffering is to make sure you have a clear understanding a biblical understanding of good and evil. And very often, we do have a wrong understanding of good and evil. Friends, what is our definition of good? How would we normally define good? We define good as whatever benefits us or whatever gives us comfort and pleasure. But you see, that's not how the Bible defines good. Good is defined by God. He is the creator and so He defines how things should be done and the things that He defines is good, in fact. We come from a me-centered, a man-centered understanding where whatever benefits us is good. But in fact, we need to understand our entire universe from God's perspective because He is creator. And so whatever benefits Him and whatever brings Him glory and whatever is according to His plans and purposes is good. Otherwise, friends, every Tom, Dick and Harry will define what is good and will have chaos in this world. The implications of us being the, the ones who define good is precisely the world we're living in right now. The reason why we're suffering everything we're suffering in this earth is because we have been trying to define what is good in our own terms and not trusting God for His definition of good. So starting off with that, as we realize that God is the one who defines right and wrong, that His standards are good, we then realize that ultimately... For us to seek good is to seek God's plans and purposes to be accomplished. And for us to seek good is to seek God's glory. God is more concerned about His glory than anything else. God is not ultimately concerned about us and our well-being. He is more concerned for His namesake and for His glory's sake. In Isaiah 48 verse 11, it says, for my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Friends, God as creator deserves this kind of glory. Because he created everything. The skies, the sun, moon and stars, the wonderful creation that you see around you, they are beautiful and amazing because God created them. The taste that you taste as you put that favorite food into your mouth is all because God made it. The wonderful sights and sounds and smells and sensations you have, it's all from God. And He deserves that glory for creating all these things. We see here how His glory is put above our desires, 
our pleasure, our comforts. And if you understand good rightly, you'll then understand how hell, in fact, just to make the point really clear, how hell, in fact, is good. Hell is not good to us because if we are sent to hell, we will suffer. If we are sent to hell, it will be tormentous to us for the rest of our lives. But that's understanding things from our perspective. But if you were to understand things from God's perspective, hell, in fact, is good. Because in having a place called hell, God's righteousness and his justice is preserved. God cannot have a world that is without sin. He cannot have a kingdom that is perfect and holy and righteous if there are sinful, rebellious people that he does not get rid of and that he does not bring to justice. In Isaiah 66 verse 24, we see how in the new heavens and the new earth, the people of God will go and look upon the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against God in hell, where the worm shall not die and the fire will not be quenched. And we see how they will glorify God in seeing this place called hell. Why? Because in having a place called, called hell, God's righteousness and his justice is preserved. His plans and purposes of having a kingdom that is without sin is accomplished. And he is most certainly glorified in sinful people suffering the consequences of rebellion against God. You see, if you struggle with this, then you should struggle in the fact that your country has a good legal system and has a good prison system. Governments can boast of a peaceful country, a peaceful environment, because sin and wrongdoing is dealt with. A government that has a lousy legal system and has a lousy prison system cannot keep sin and wrongdoing at bay. And thus, people cannot live in peace and harmony with each other. And as we can appreciate the glory of a righteous and perfect government that has a good legal and prison system, we should also see the glory of God in hell. And in appreciating this glory of God, now it changes your mind to think about suffering. Why should human beings suffer? We ask. We think suffering is evil. We think suffering is something that it's abhorrent and God should not allow. But that's thinking from a man's perspective. If we think from God's perspective, we should in fact glorify God that sin is in fact dealt with. We should glorify God that he does not just let sin pass like that. We should glorify God that he sends sinners to hell including ourselves, who deserve it. And that is the most difficult part when we bring ourselves into the picture. Friends, in the midst of all this, you must be clear that God does not delight in the death of the wicked. In 2 Peter 3 verse 9, we see how he is patient. He does not wish that anyone should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And in Ezekiel 18 verse 23, we see how he does not, in fact, have any pleasure in the death of the wicked. He's not this sadistic God who just wishes to torture people and to burn them in hell. No, we have a loving creator, a God who creates a perfect world. He tends to preserve a perfect world for his glory. And we see how even despite man's wickedness and sinfulness and how the entire world should be just destroyed, we see how he sends his son 
And next week, make sure that you stay tuned to see how the greatest evil that has ever been committed, in fact, is the death of His Son, Jesus Christ. Don't think about the suffering that we have now as evil. No. God, in fact, in giving us life on this earth, is merciful. The suffering that His Son went through, that is evil. Why should a perfect, sinless, spotless Son of God die for the sake of a rebellious human race? Now, that is evil. So this God, He is good. But His good is not our definition of good. It is His definition of good, which is that He seeks to accomplish His plans and purposes. He seeks to maintain His righteousness and holiness. And he seeks to ultimately protect his glory. And moving on to the fourth point, we come to terms with a very important question. The clincher question, in fact, for today, which is, if God knew all this, if God was completely in control, then why did God allow us to be evil? Why did God purpose and plan for us to eventually sin against him and then be condemned to the judgment that we deserve. Well, the first part of the answer is to work out that God can very well choose to create you, to end up being evil, and then to lead to your destruction. And he will still be glorious in his purposes. Why? Because he is God. He is creator. And we established this earlier in Romans chapter 9, verse 19 to 23. That man has no way to find fault with God. And man cannot call God sinful or evil or wicked if this is how he chooses to create. Romans 9 verse 19. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? Which is precisely the question we have today. If God is the one who has planned for us to end up sinning and then to be judged then why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But look at verse 20 that follows on from that. But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Who are you? Will what is molded say to his molder? Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power? has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Friends, one day if you make out of one lump of clay, you make one lump, you take it and you make it into this wonderful teacup to serve kings and with another lump, you make it into a piss pot and if I see you doing that, have I any right to say that you are evil for using that one lump of clay to make one vessel for kings for honorable use and one more for dishonorable use? Are you unjust or evil in doing so? The answer is no, because you are the creator and you have every right from that one lump of clay to make one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use. Likewise, God has every right to create and to determine the end point for his two lumps of clay, whether it be for honorable use or dishonorable use. And we as mankind, we have no right to then question God and to say he's evil or that he's wicked and that he's unjust. 
It is in understanding that He is Creator and that we are not. So this passage teach you, teaches you that God is 100% sovereign, but at the same time, we'll see in other passages in the Bible, and it, which is implied in Romans 9, that we are at the same time 100% responsible. We cannot blame God for being the people that we are, but at the same time, He has purpose that we will be the people that we are. So Genesis 37 to 50 talks about the story of Joseph where he is sold off to Egypt. I mean, his brothers, right? They did this horrible thing of selling their own flesh and blood, their own brother Joseph, off to some tradesmen who were then going off to Egypt. But you see in Genesis 50 verse 19 to 20 that God, in fact, had purposed this evil for good. Verse 20, as for you, you meant evil against me. This is Joseph talking to his brothers. But God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You see how God is 100% sovereign here. But at the same time, you will see in Genesis 42, verse 21 onwards, Genesis 44, verse 16, and Genesis 45, verse 3, that the brothers are indeed still guilty of their acts. But it's amazing how the Bible reveals that both are happening at the same time. That God is completely sovereign and they are responsible. Similar situation in the case of Jonah, who rebelled against God, who was supposed to go to the town of Nineveh and proclaim God's judgment, which would then hopefully bring the people of Nineveh to repentance. And as he runs away, he is responsible for running away. But God brings about a huge fish, a huge whale to swallow him to then accomplish his plans and purposes. So we see God is completely sovereign whilst you are responsible. And you cannot blame God. Like Jonah, he cannot blame God, right? In the end, for what has happened to him. He can only thank God for his mercy in the case of Joseph as well. But let me use a negative example. Let me use the example of Pharaoh. Pharaoh, he went against God and it was God who hardens his heart. So as Pharaoh, can you blame God? For hardening your heart? No, Pharaoh himself hated God. Pharaoh himself wanted Israel to remain in Egypt. Pharaoh himself wanted his kingdom and his government to be bigger than any other government in the world. And he could not lose to the Israelites and to the God of Israel. He believed in his gods versus the God of Israel. Is Pharaoh responsible for what he did? Yes. Can he blame God? No, he cannot. Even at the level of God being creator, can he blame God for creating him that way? No, he cannot. And at the same time, we see how God is completely sovereign over the whole thing. In fact, next week, I'm going to show you how in the book of Acts, how Jesus' death is one of God's 100% sovereignty in as much as human beings, the high priests and the Pharisees, Herod and Pilate, the disciples who betrayed and all of us who have put Jesus to the cross, how we are responsible for Jesus' death, all at the same time, God is completely sovereign. And so this last point about how God is 100% sovereign and we are 100% responsible gives you the last bit, the last layer of clarity into what we've established today on why does God allow suffering. So I hope you can appreciate that the reason why we suffer is not as straightforward as that God does not look out for us. No, in fact, God is our creator. God is not obligated to give us the life that we have. 
and God is righteous and good, he should punish us. He should just remove our lives forever, given who we are against him. So we don't deserve anything but non-existence in hell. And so the question of why then are we suffering is not even a question to answer now, given this clarity. In fact, we are affirm of God's goodness and we are affirm of God's sovereignty in all things. You need to stay on for next week's talk to see how in this understanding of God's sovereignty, he plans for Jesus and how for all those who are his people, he in fact has a good purpose for all the suffering that you go through. Romans 8 Romans 8 talks about how God subjects us to this suffering and this frustration on earth so that we might turn to him. And he also uses this suffering in Romans chapter 5 to mature us as his people so that we eventually be the people that he will conform us to be, which is like Christ. So I hope that today's topic has been clear enough for all of you and you have better understanding of if God is sovereign, then why suffering? And at the same time, you are clear on the understanding of God's sovereignty and human responsibility. I know that uh, for most of you, you will struggle with the fact that these two things are not logically compatible. That how can God be 100% sovereign and we be 100% responsible? It doesn't seem to fit, right? It has to be one or the other. But friends, in understanding the wisdom of God in His Word, it is to trust the Bible's authority as the highest authority in our lives and to see sometimes that we cannot piece things together completely logically because we don't grasp the level of understanding the things in this world that God does. We do not understand the things of God as much as God does. And so we have to trust Him in that sense, to trust His Word. The same paradigm would be, for example, in understanding the doctrine of the Trinity. The doctrine of the Trinity talks about a God who is three persons but one. I mean, how is that logical as well? And if you cannot accept this, to be what the Bible says, that God is 100% sovereign and we are 100% responsible, then, friends, you can't even accept the Trinity then. So if I can appeal to you to trust God in His Word, to ultimately not rely on your logic and your experience, to make sense of things, but to trust God in His infinite wisdom. I'm going to end by talking about Xander's question from the start, which is, if God is truly sovereign... Then, in this time of COVID-19, what should we Christians do, knowing that God is sovereign and in control? Do we sit back and relax and let the situation play itself out? And that's a very good question that is asked. And what I need you to grasp today, in terms of what you need to do, is you first need to understand what God's will is. To understand God's will is to grasp the things that I've taught you today, which is that God is completely sovereign, and that we are responsible at the same time. And to make sense of COVID with this in mind, how is God completely sovereign over COVID? God is the one who brings about COVID. Yep. How do we understand our responsibility? Well, we know that disease has come into the world, not just COVID, but all sorts of disease because of sin, right? Ever since Adam's fall, Adam and Eve, and then for the rest of us who keep sinning against God, in fact, we've established earlier that we deserve nothing but death and hell. And so it is only right and natural for us to see that COVID is part of the curses of the fall. But how do the two come together then? We see how God is sovereign even in the consequences of our sin. 
which means that he brings about it to punish people. But at the same time, next week you learn how he frustrates us, he causes us to suffer so that we do not find comfort in this life, but in fact that we will look for him, that we will seek him, that we will turn our eyes to him. And in the past, during the early church years, when there was no modern medicine, when people would suffer from pandemics, we see that during these pandemics, many people would turn to God because of diseases such as these. Diseases help us to see the reality or the fragility of our lives. And then it brings us back to the question of who we are in this world and who God is. So let me end by this prayer. Father, we thank you for teaching us today about your sovereignty and our responsibility as human beings. And now we realize that when we ask the question of why then suffering, we're not so quick to jump into questioning you and to doubting you, but we realize that we in fact are sinful given who you are. We are in fact not deserving of life. We deserve hell and eternal condemnation. And the suffering we are facing, in fact, is only just a small measure to what we actually do deserve. The suffering that we go through in this life is because of what our forefathers have done and because of what we've done. And Father, we have no way, in fact, to blame you. You are right. And even if you did create all of us so that we would be vessels of dishonorable use, we realize that we have no right to question you because you are the creator who is right in your doing. And the only reason why we can even enjoy life and even uh, enjoy uh, the goodness of it such that we complain or we make a fuss when we do not get a chance to have a longer life, it is because of how you have given us this life that we do not deserve. So I pray that you'll help us to trust in you understanding this, that um, you are creator, that you are righteous, that you are all good, and that you, in fact, do give us suffering for a good purpose. And this good is not our way of understanding good. It is your way of understanding good. So we commit our lives to you. We seek to know our place today, to know our place not as creator, but as creatures who are in the hands of a angry God sinners in the hands of an angry God who can only plead and beg you for mercy. Thank you for sending your son and we'll learn more about your son next week and how his death is the most evil thing in fact in this world that when we look at him we in fact see a merciful and gracious God. Commit all these things to you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Alvin. So from what I could gather, we mostly address the why of suffering. Here we see that in the first place, man, we are deserving of destruction due to his to our rebellion against this God. So we must be clearer on his standards of goodness and righteousness in order to see what is truly evil. We can't blame God's sovereignty for our rebellions against him because we, too, are responsible for our sins against him him 
So if there are any questions you'd like to ask, especially pertaining to the topic of today, don't hesitate to ask us. You can send in your questions to 011-2376-2062. And I repeat, 011-2376-2062. And we will address all these questions on our next episode, just as we did today. And with that, we conclude our Real Talk for today. Thank you for tuning in to Real Talk by IMUCF. Tune in again next week for the suffering of Christ and the sovereignty of God. And we pray that you have been blessed by today's sharing and hope you have a good day ahead. God bless and stay safe.